Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Welcome again to RUF, guys. Hope you're having a good week so far, anyways. Um, we are in RUF. We look at the Bible every week. It's what we do. We believe that the Bible is our source of life. We believe it's our source of hope and even our source of reality uh, that we need to be in tune with, uh, that we need to access in order to live life well in God's wor- in world and Uh, know what is right and wrong, and even know God himself, and uh, especially learn to love him and one another. And so we look at the Bible every week in RUF, and uh, we're going through this series called Joy in a World Gone Flat uh, in this book, uh, Paul's Letter to the Philippians. And it's a book where Paul talks about joy a lot, and he rejoices a, lo- a lot. We'll see it in his, this passage we're going to read tonight. He's always rejoicing, and it's interesting because he's writing from prison. Uh, he's writing uh, in chain. He's literally chained to a Roman guard, probably dictating this letter, and yet he rejoices uh, at God's goodness, and he rejoices in the gospel. And so uh, we're continuing our series tonight. Uh, Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church, a uh, church that he started in what is now Greece. And uh, on his missionary journey, he went on and he started this church and uh, eventually was imprisoned in Rome. And so he's writing to these Christians that he got to know as he started this church and that he's grown to love. And uh, we pick up tonight uh, with a short passage from chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. So let me read it for us. Uh, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Uh, Let me pray for our time in the Word. Uh, Heavenly Father, guide us now through your Word. Uh, We come from different places tonight uh, to your Word. Some of us had really busy days, others not so much. Uh, Some of us were encouraged today and others discouraged. Uh, Some come from a posture of belief and uh, others come from a a posture of doubt and uh, we pray that no matter where we're coming from and who we are that you would apply this word to our heart tonight we pray in Christ's name amen so I've been trying to get in shape I don't know if any of you guys are like exercise people per se or 
have been in shape at any point in your life, but lately I've been, the last few months, trying to get in shape and trying to be a little more intentional about exercise in my life. And it's this pattern that I've been like gradually developing over the last few years, just kind of realizing, I guess since I'm like becoming an old man, that like it's important or something. And what I've realized in my latest attempts to get in shape and kind of be a little more fit is that getting in shape is kind of hard, right? Like it's kind of hard, but continuing to be in shape is what's really hard, right? Like what's really hard is a lifestyle of fitness, right? Like I could, it's kind of hard to get in shape for a while, but then you're thinking like, I got to keep this up? What, like forever? Like, I want to be in, sh- I want to, like, get in shape and then, like, be done with it. Like, you know, tell me what I need to do to be in shape and then be done with it. But the problem is that, like, being in shape six years ago does nothing for you today, right? And uh, I was, I, I'm thinking about this. I have a friend. Uh, I use this app to track my running, and it's, like, a social media type thing. So you can, like, friend people on it and see, like, the runs they're doing. I have this friend, and he, like, runs 11 miles all the time, and I'm just like, how? Like, he's the kind of person who does have a lifestyle of fitness that he has, like, always seemed to maintain, and I'm just like, how do you do that? Like, so I'm still trying to figure that out, but what I want us to see tonight is we look at this passage, which is about Christian growth and commitment and maturity is that it's very similar to physical fitness. And I want us to think of it in those terms, like a lifestyle of physical fitness. In that, like, first of all, whatever former, like, successes or glories or spiritual highs that you may have had at some point in life, they won't carry you always. And I know some of you have, I've heard some of your stories, and there's amazing stories of God's work where, like, you know, God has worked in amazing ways in your life, but it was a long time ago. Um, That's how Paul starts this passage tonight in verse 12. He starts by saying, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, uh, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, It's this way of saying, like, obedience, okay, you guys... When I was there, it was easier to obey. Like, there's this church starting. It was exciting. Uh, but now, you know, obedience is not as easy when, like, Paul is in prison and things get, it becomes harder to be a Christian. And as we think about obedience, I want us to think about, what do you think about obedience? Like, when I hear the word, I'm kind of like, ugh, I don't like the word. I think the word sounds kind of lame, right? Like obedience. It doesn't sound exciting to me. I I resist it. I resist the idea of obeying anyone or anything. And what we need to see in the Bible is that obedience is always for our good. Like obedience in the Bible is never this like arbitrary thing, like follow X, Y, and Z. And, you know, this other like consequence will happen that is totally unrelated. Like obedience in the Bible is like physical fitness. Uh, sometimes obedience hurts in the moment, just like physical fitness, sometimes like getting fit sometimes hurts in the moment, but you never look back and say like, oh, I'm so, I regret exercising so bad, right? Like you regret it in the moment or you regret it like in the lead up to it when you're like, no, I can't get to the gym. I can't get up and get moving. 
but no one ever regrets it after it's happened. And obedience is the same way. Obedience is like the God, it's the way life is meant to be lived. Like just like the human body is meant to have like blood, like your heart rate is meant to get up sometimes, and your muscles are meant to move. Uh, I have a friend who had ankle surgery recently, and his ankle has been like in a really thick cast for like a month or more. And he was telling me how amazed he is that his muscle, like, so it's got no, like, he hasn't walked on it at all, and it's just like shrunk in like the span of like six weeks or something. He was like, I can't believe how much it's just withered in that time. The human body is meant for exercise and good food. And the human soul is meant for obedience to God. Because he made the world. He made us. Uh, He knows how it's meant to be. And also because we were meant to live with him. Uh, We were meant to... This passage in verse 16 talks about a day of Christ. A day when we will live with him. And in light of that, all Christians are called to be growing in obedience to God, obedience to God for our good, uh, for his glory. And so I want to look at this question of how do we grow in it tonight? How do we grow as Christians? And uh, what should we be doing to grow? What does God want from us now? How do I know I'm on the right track? Uh, if I've been saved, if I've given my life to Christ, in other words, now what? And we're going to look at, we're going to see that Paul gives us an answer to that really in two parts, and then we're going to see an example of how this works. So the first part is the first part of, or the second part of verse 12 there. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, It's this way of saying that, like, what you can't do is nothing. Like, you can't live without intention. You can't just float along, seeing what will happen, and just kind of go with the tide. You can't say, like, well, there was this one time a long, long time ago when God was at work in my life, and I, he did amazing things for me, and he worked powerfully in my life, and so I'm good to go now. I can put my feet up. And the reason is because God is holy. It's because God has saved us in this amazing way at great cost to himself. Uh, Some of you, when we meet up and talk, uh, a lot of times I talk with students like you and in years past about grades, right? Grades are a big deal in the life of a college student. And, you know, so I've I've talked to many of you and other students in the past about grades. And, you know, sometimes we talk about our parents, right? And I know for some of us, there's like unhealthy expectation that parents put on us to like be in some career, but or to perform at a certain, like, unrealistic level. But for a lot of us, we have parents that just are happy to provide for us and send us to college, and there's this healthy way that we just kind of feel like, and I've heard some of you even say, like, man, like, you know, the grades are kind of tanking a little bit, and we know, like, deep down, it's probably because I could have been spending more time studying, and we think, like, man, like, part of why I feel bad is because my parents are... Like, we're generous to send me here. Or, like, not everyone gets this experience. And, you know, if my parents knew how I spent my day, like, oh, no, what would happen? And it's all bound up. Like, some of that is healthy, right? It's like my parents 
gave birth to me and they raised me and they gave me this great opportunity and I want to honor them and they're like in this level above me in life and I want to do what's right. And that's kind of, I want you to think about fear and trembling in those kind of terms. Like work out your salvation with fear. and tr- Like there's a healthy honoring of our parents that we can do with school. And it's, it's like a healthy respect and reverence is what it's talking about. Uh, I knew a, I have a friend who told me about a, someone he knew in college who did the opposite of that. He dropped out of college and he didn't tell his parents. And year after year went by, like senior year comes around, he's, his parents still think he's in college. They show up at graduation weekend. They still think their son is graduating. He hasn't told them. He's been accepting money from them to like live like around the campus, not going to classes for like three and a half years. And it's not until his parents see like that his name isn't on the list of graduates that he finally tells them, right? Imagine the fear and trembling in that situation. Okay, so like... I want you to think about the parent thing. Think about like the way we want to live. Uh, we want to spend our college in a way that's worthy of our parents, what they've done for us. And I want us to just amplify that like a zillion times to think about instead of college, thinking about life and instead of our parents, thinking about God himself. That's what this passage is talking about when it says, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a way of reflecting on who we are and who God is. And so I want to ask you, you know, do you ever take time to evaluate your life as it relates to God or how God would have you live? Or do you ever take time to confess sin or confess areas in your life where you're falling short? Or another way of saying that is, do you ever actively pursue holiness? Do we ever say, you know, like, I'm not, this is how God wants me to live, and I'm not doing it. So I need to, something needs to change. I'm going to try and change. I'm going to ask for help from people I know and trust to help me change. Because the first point Paul is making here is you will not grow, you will not change, you will not become holy just by idly sitting by, just by drifting along. Okay? So. If, if that were all Paul wrote here, we would all be like, oh, crap, right? Uh, we wouldn't, that would be really hard, and it wouldn't really be good news. It would be the same as, like, every self-help book ever, right? Like, duh, you need to change. Uh, work hard and get better. And thankfully, that's not all Paul says here about how we change. Because the second part, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and work for his good pleasure. You see what that's saying? It's saying it's God's work in us that makes us want to do what's right and to even have the ability to do what's right. You see how that balances what he's saying about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's still true, but now there's this added element that like God has promised to be at work in us to enable us to be holy. Think about something in your life that needs to change for a second. Like, just evaluate your own life for a minute. And just, what, what's something that, like, if you're honest, you think, like, there's this thing going on in my life, something I do, something I think a lot, a tendency I have, a habit I have. It's dishonoring to God. I know that. 
and I need to change. And I want you to have that in mind, and I want you to imagine that whatever that thing is, imagine that it's like you're walking on a path, and that, that thing, whatever it is, is a big tree that has fallen on your path. Okay? It's in your way. You, there's no getting over it. It's a big tree, and it needs to move. And there's three ways, really, that that tree could move that involve God. The first would be that, like, you say, God, move the tree, and it moves, right? Or a second way would be to say, hey, God, you lift that part, and I'll lift this part, and we'll move it. You know, you do your part, I'll do my part, and we'll move it together. Or a third way, and this is the way that Paul is going for here, that it could move, is that you move the tree in God's strength. You actually move it, but the power comes from God. Okay? That's, act, that's how God wants to change us because it's the only way that we can become truly holy. It's the only way that we could become lovers like God is. Uh, because if holiness is only about working harder, you know, like those other options are basically like work harder, pray harder, whatever. Do It's me, 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 me. And the outcome of that, there's only two outcomes that could come from that. It's like either I fail and I'm miserable, like despair, bitterness, like I didn't, I tried, I kept trying, it didn't work. Or the other option is you do succeed a little bit. Like you do have some measure of success and that can only make you look down on everyone else. You know, what's wrong with everyone else? I got over it. I got past the tree. I must be better than everyone. And you can't love anyone that you think you're better than. But if it's God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure, then it means that however far we progress in the Christian life, he will always be the one who gets credit for it. It will never be about us. It will never be about our how we perform. We won't be able to look, we'll understand other people. We won't look down on them. Uh, wanted you to imagine another scenario. There's a lot of imagining scenarios tonight, okay? This one is, you're sitting there on your, at your house, and someone shows up, and they've got a pickup truck with a trailer on it, a bunch of lawn mowers and lawn equipment in the back, and like a list of people that need their lawn mowed that are willing to pay you. And what they've essentially done is given you a lawn mowing business with gasoline cans and everything, right? And you go about this work, and and you're like, okay, get in my truck, go to the first place, mow the lawn. Uh, Second place, uh, throughout the week, you're like making bank. All of a sudden, you have this like lawn business that's like going, and people would look at you and be like, wow, like you're successful, you're making money. But the issue with that, you know, and you would, you would never be like, yeah, I'm awesome, right? You would be like, no, someone gave me all this stuff. Like, the work that you did could not have happened without that initial gift. And what we need to see, like, that's what God's like, but it's even more than that because he's always at work in us. He's actually in charge of making us holy, and I'll just say, he's even in charge of it when we fail. Like, sometimes I talk with you all, and it's in this moment of great failure, and it's just like, oh, man, 
I've failed. Like, am I even a Christian? Would a Christian do something as awful as I've just done? And what you need to see is in that moment, it's like proof that you're a Christian. Because if you weren't, you wouldn't care. Like, it's a, like God is the one who makes us want to obey. And so if we want to and we fail, that's even a sign that God is at work. And I'll just suggest also that one of the main ways that God grows us is through community. One of the main ways he's at work is through bringing other Christians around us and having us lean into Christian community to push us onward and forward. Okay, so obedience and change and growing and holiness have two parts. It's our work in his power. And so it's all, all the credit goes to him. And the result is he gets all the glory and we become people who love because we didn't do anything to deserve his love and his help. And in this passage, so Paul kind of explains that and then there's this ready example of how we can put it to work. Like this is almost like a case study explaining how it works. Uh, He says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So let's try to apply what we've learned about how God grows us, okay? There's a basic command in this passage. Don't be someone who grumbles. In other words, don't be contentious. Uh, Be someone who's easy to get along with. Think about that for a minute. Are you someone that grumbles? If so, what do you grumble about? Or if you don't grumble out loud, how does your heart grumble and Why? Are you easily frustrated by people around you? If so, why? Are you an argumentative person? If so, why? So, in other words, this is an area where we need, like, it's a command to obey. It's an area where we need to evaluate ourselves and think, you know, what, how should I respond to that? What needs to change in me as I hear about how God uh, wants us to obey in this way. And the bottom line is that we can all find ways to grow in this area. It's simple, right? It's a simple thing. Don't grumble. But like, if we think about it enough, we can all grow. Well, why is it so important? Like, why, why, why do we need to grow? Look what Paul says at the end of this past, toward the end, uh, in verse 15. He says, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Listen to what Paul's not saying in this passage. He's not saying, stop grumbling and God will love you more. He's not saying, stop grumbling or God will stop working in your life. Instead, he's saying not grumbling and not disputing is a way to show God's character to a world that needs to know him. They need to know about him. And grumbling and disputing are a massive part of our world. Just look on social media, right? But they don't fit who God is. And if you're someone who God has saved, then they don't fit who you are anymore. You can be different. You can stand out because of your holiness and make people wonder, you know, who is this God? What makes these people different? Okay, but how? Like, how can we stop grumbling? 
Where does the power come from? We see it in verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life. The word of life is a way of saying the gospel. The message of the Bible. And we've looked at this message over and over this semester as we've looked at Philippians. It's this message that says God has made all of history about bringing us back to him when we had run away. And to do it, he had to enter our world. He had to become a man, Jesus Christ. He had to take on our misery. He had to come and even die. And, he, and to save us, he had to do it without ever grumbling. He never grumbled. Why? Because we were worth it to him. Getting to be with us forever was worth it to him. Even though we're people that grumble and complain. Even though we never get it right and we continue to fail. He's not ashamed of our failure and he's come to make us new. Okay, And if that's my story, then grumbling is going to fade away. Dishonesty is going to fade away. Lust is going to fade away. Selfishness is going to fade away. Because none of those things are who I am anymore. I have a new power within me. And in that power, I can be different. Uh, At the end of this passage, Paul closes this section by picturing the day of Christ. It's this day... As Christians, we believe there will be a day when Jesus comes to earth and establishes his kingdom fully and finally here. And we will see him on that day. And Paul talks about how, he wants us to reflect on how joyful we will be on that day. And, you know, I began tonight this talk by talking about uh, the difficulty of never arriving, right? Like never, I don't, I'm never going to be like in shape. There's always room to grow. And it's true, in this life, we'll always have room to grow, right? We say at RUF sometimes, uh, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And then Paul actually compares it to a race, right? In verse 16, the Christian life is often compared to this grueling race that we run. But the amazing thing about the grueling race of life as a Christian is that Jesus is already committed to dragging you across the finish line. Like It's like it's done already. And on the other side of that finish line is eternal rejoicing. And knowing that now means that we can have joy now in spite of our circumstances. We can have joy now as we grow, as we fail and turn again and again to Jesus and the hope of the gospel. And we can press deeper into obedience, uh, deeper into the character of God for his glory. Uh, So let me close us and just pray that God would do that in us tonight and forever. Uh, Heavenly Father, you know how much we need to change Uh, You see it so clearly, and it's often muddled in our own minds uh, just uh, how far we fall short of who you are and who you've made us to be. 
our uh, desperate need uh, to be different. And we thank you that you're patient with us and kind. And most of all, we thank you that you're committed to our growth, uh, that you are committed to dragging us across the finish line uh, if we belong to you. And so we pray that uh, we would lean into both of these truths, our need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, while at the same time knowing that it's your work. Uh, You're the power behind our work. The glory and the honor belongs to you, Lord. Uh, Change us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen.